Let's hear now from a rest new restaurant owner who's weathered the storm of COVID. At just 34, Zhang Zhihen runs a luxury hot pot restaurant famous for its Kobe beef. But just a few years ago, he was running a street stall selling red bean cakes. Let's hear how he found the experience and courage needed to start his own business. Crushed ice falls like an avalanche into a bowl. Then it's covered with shrimp roe, abalone, oysters, fish, and clams. Marbled slivers of Kobe beef are laid on a plate. This hot pot is a luxurious fusion of land and sea. The marbling in Kobe beef is extremely beautiful. My more regular customers all ask for this. At holidays like Mother's Day or Father's Day, our turnover is greatly increased. At best, we can reach 1 million NT a month. Chef Zhang Zhiheng is very particular about the quality of the seafood as well as the beef. Alongside the a5 Wagyu and Kobe beef are sushi-grade scallops and nine-headed abalone. The delicacies used in this hot pot restaurant market out from the crowd. At its helm is 34-year-old Zhang. Eight years ago, he invested 100,000 NT that he had earned through part-time work since high school to start his own business. He started with a small food cart next to Furen University, selling simple red bean cakes. I thought I would get into the world of work sooner than other people and get some more experience, and that might help me in the future. My classmates there were very passionate. Perhaps some of them thought I was going for my dream while still really young. Maybe they felt influenced by me and they cheered me on. After five years of selling red bean cakes, Zhang expanded his business. Opening a restaurant takes 5 million NT, not an easy sum to earn. Zhang swallowed his pride and asked his father and other relatives for money. Talking about amounts of money like that can damage the relationship. Other people will be worried that once they've lent you the money, something might happen. I told my dad, I've got related experience. I want to give it a try. So if I fail, I'm willing to spend the rest of my life working to pay this mortgage back. I saw how determined he was, so I supported him. I did my best to help him open the business. If a young person has a dream, as a dad, you can't fail to support them and let them down. Zhang's father, already retired, was moved by his son's request, finally agreeing to mortgage his last house to fund the restaurant opening. Soon after the restaurant opened, the pandemic struck, but Zhang's choice to use the finest ingredients makes the eatery stand out from the crowded budget hot pot competition. Taiwan's road safety is becoming more and more of a hot topic. The danger that scooter riders face on the road is particularly stark. That's why officials are now doing all they can to encourage scooter riders to get lessons and improve their skills on the road. Today, we visit a riding school in which the capital, which offers students a comprehensive skills building course. You can get a grant to help pay for the course. A student puts on a helmet and grasps the handlebars. It's time for the devil's test. Riding along this straight line helps students practice their balance. You need to take more than seven seconds. When you ride by yourself, you have lots of blind spots. Here, someone is there watching you and they will help you by pointing your problems out straight away. You can improve your riding issues faster. 
Here we can train the students when they're doing basic maneuvers about the marks on the road, and we get them to do basic maneuvers or practice maintaining a certain distance from the vehicle in front of them. Statistics show that new scooter riders with inadequate training will likely get into traffic accidents within their first four years on the road. And 10% of new riders will break traffic laws. But after receiving training like this and improving their understanding of how to ride, that law-breaking cohort drops to just under 3% of the total. Aside from improving skills and raising awareness of traffic rules, the school also teaches students how to ride defensively if they're in an emergency. That helps protect riders from the many dangers they face on the road. After six hours classroom education in school and 10 hours practical training on the bike, once they've learned fully and passed the test, it is a great help to them on the road. This is their mobile service van. From starting to learn to ride all the way to getting the license, it's part of one service. I hope that students or city residents who are about to take the test will make use of it. The school is working with the Taipei Motor Vehicles Office to provide tests right here on the premises. And this year, the Directorate General of Highways is offering a 1,300 NT grant for anyone who wants riding lessons. But only 20,000 grants are available and there are just 400 spots left in the north of the country. If you want to grab your chance, now's the time. Geothermal energy is being explored as a potential source of sustainable energy as Taiwan works toward its goal of zero carbon emissions by 2050. Experts say there are many uncertainties involved with geothermal energy, but the government hopes to get the ball rolling by working with academia. It's sharing the results of its findings with the industry with the hope of spurring development. Steam billows up into the air at Elan's Qingshui Geothermal Park. In one hot spring, eggs cook in baskets. In another, people soak their feet. But these springs can also be a source of green energy. Taiwan sits on several fault lines, giving it abundant sources of geothermal energy, which the government is actively developing. Authorities have called upon researchers at 12 institutions to establish a panel for research into geothermal energy. Geothermal exploration involves many uncertainties. As for our cooperation with academia, basically they collect information about geology and geothermal potential and then use that to make an initial assessment. That's our goal in this first stage. There are lots of uncertainties with geothermal energy, but the government is working with researchers to collect more information and spur development. It's exploring areas of potential with the aim of giving that information to industry to aid its development and lower costs. So far, drilling has begun in Datun Mountain near Taipei's Beitou District, as well as Hualien and Taidong. It expects to drill in five additional locations next year. For private companies, an ability to drill wells is the most important thing. In the future, improvements to the operational efficiency of the power plants will also be important. We will provide assistance with relevant design issues and so on. Of course, if a plant is in an area with a much larger geothermal potential and we're on the feeder line, then we can make arrangements earlier. In addition to wind and solar power, geothermal energy has been an area of growing focus in recent years in Taiwan. Exploration of potential sites began increasing in 2020 
and is expected to double by next year. With Taiwan aiming for zero carbon emissions by 2050, the government is pouring resources into sources of green energy. Taiwan Institute of Economic Research has revised its GDP forecast for 2022 down to 2.9 percent. That's a drop of 0.3 percent from the forecast made in August. The institute says the factors that are impacting economic growth in Taiwan are Russia's ongoing invasion of Ukraine and tightening monetary policies around the world. In the face of rising global interest rates, the ongoing Russian invasion of Ukraine and tightening monetary policies, the global economy is sluggish. The Taiwan Institute of Economic Research in September revised its predicted 2022 GDP growth rate down to 2.9 percent. That's down from a 3.2 percent prediction last month. The institute also announced a consumer price index of 2.66 percent for August. In the U.S. and Europe, the CPI has grown to 8 or 9 percent, and across Asia it's over 2 percent, so it's trending upward worldwide. There doesn't appear to be any clear trend of this slowing. Following the U.S. Fed's rise of key interest rates by 75 basis points, Taiwan's central bank adjusted Taiwan's expected annual economic growth rate down to 3.51 percent. It also raised Taiwan's own interest rates by 12.5 basis points to 1.625 percent, up from 1.5 percent in August. Tia says the current frequency of rate hikes will not impact domestic demand and economic recovery. With the potential easing of border restrictions on October 13th, we can expect economic growth in the fourth quarter. That's a definite. As for whether the interest rate hike will affect that, right now the rate is only a bit over 1%. It's not high at all. In the U.S., the rate is already over 6%. Such an aggressive raising of rates will definitely impact consumer demand there. But in Taiwan, the rate increase is really limited. TS forecasts predict strong economic growth in the fourth quarter fueled by the tourism sector after the lifting of travel quarantines. It also expects the CPI to be lower next year, adding that the central bank is unlikely to continue raising rates in 2023. It adds that even if the current CPI of 2.95% drops to the expected 2.52% in 2023, the rate will still be well above 2%, indicating high inflation. Taiwan Institute of Economic Research has revised its GDP forecast for 2022 down to 2.9 percent. That's a drop of 0.3 percent from the forecast made in August. The institute says the factors that are impacting economic growth in Taiwan are Russia's ongoing invasion of Ukraine and tightening monetary policies around the world. In the face of rising global interest rates, the ongoing Russian invasion of Ukraine and tightening monetary policies, the global economy is sluggish. The Taiwan Institute of Economic Research in September revised its predicted 2022 GDP growth rate down to 2.9 percent. That's down from a 3.2 percent prediction last month. The institute also announced a consumer price index of 2.66 percent for August. In the U.S. and Europe, the CPI has grown to 8 or 9 percent, and across Asia it's over 2 percent, so it's trending upward worldwide. There doesn't appear to be any clear trend of this slowing. Following the U.S. Fed's rise of key interest rates by 75 basis points, Taiwan's central bank adjusted Taiwan's expected annual economic growth rate down to 3.51 percent. It also raised Taiwan's own interest rates by 12.5 basis points to 1.625 percent, 
up from 1.5% in August. Tia says the current frequency of rate hikes will not impact domestic demand and economic recovery. With the potential easing of border restrictions on October 13th, we can expect economic growth in the fourth quarter. That's a definite. As for whether the interest rate hike will affect that, right now the rate is only a bit over 1%. It's not high at all. In the U.S., the rate is already over 6%. Such an aggressive raising of rates will definitely impact consumer demand there. But in Taiwan, the rate increase is really limited. TS forecasts predict strong economic growth in the fourth quarter fueled by the tourism sector after the lifting of travel quarantines. It also expects the CPI to be lower next year, adding that the central bank is unlikely to continue raising rates in 2023. It adds that even if the current CPI of 2.95% drops to the expected 2.52% in 2023, the rate will still be well above 2%, indicating high inflation. With the clock ticking in the run up to the local elections, BCC Chairman Zhao Shaokang has commissioned a public poll to gauge support ratings. The poll found that in the race for Taoyuan Mayor, DPP candidate Zhen Yunpeng is in the lead with a 24% backing, followed by KMT hopeful Simon Chang with 21%. Former Taipei Mayor Hao Longbing said the results spelled worry for the KMT in Taoyuan. Let's hear from him. What this shows is that the KMT is still not conforming fully in Taoyuan. Perhaps Simon Chang's campaign progress and his personal performance don't align with what KMT supporters in Taoyuan need. I think this is something we all need to work harder on. We always use polls just as a reference. Regardless, we need to move on. We will work hard and push on. Mr. Zhao Shaokang has given us some advice, and we are very thankful to him. We've taken all of the poll numbers and the advice from everyone into consideration as part of Zheng's campaign strategy. About a month ago, Zheng was running around meeting with people at the grassroots level. At the same time, he was putting forward feasible policy proposals. This is why his support rating has been growing, and that's in line with our expectations. Speaking on behalf of Zhen, who is in quarantine, campaign spokesman Wang Weijun said Zhen would continue to strive for the approval of Taoyuan's residents in the two months remaining before elections. Premier Susan Tsang on Sunday kicked off a tour of Taiwan to raise support for DPP candidates in the upcoming local elections. Observers say Su's goal is to sway undecided voters to keep important urban constituencies in northern Taiwan under DPP control. They say that if the DPP loses Taoyuan, Jilong and Xinzhu City, Su may come under pressure to resign from the executive yuan. A few days before Taiwan's Teachers' Day, President Tsai Ing-wen and Premier Su Jin-chung handed out awards to outstanding educators in Taiwan. They thanked teachers for their contributions, reiterating the government's commitment to education. Under the Tsai administration, our budget for education has grown every year to reach almost 350 billion NT today. Now, every class has an internet connection and every student has access to a tablet. The premier touted his achievements in office, from battling African swine fever, promoting programs for agriculture, and boosting Taiwan's medical resources. There are still 61 days until election day. During this time, I will go on a tour around Taiwan. My first stop is Yuning County. 
The theme for this election campaign is to take care of the future of Taiwan, our land and our people. With around two months to go until the local elections, Su says he's going on a campaign tour to sway undecided voters. Analysts say his goal may be to keep DPP constituencies under DPP control, especially Jilong, Taoyuan and Xinju City in northern Taiwan. Pundits say that if the DPP loses those three elections, Premier Su, who is the longest-serving head of the executive UN, may face calls to resign as premier. This tour around Taiwan, they say, is a way to ensure his position in the central government. What we want to do is promote the performance and efficiency of the executive UN. It's not about the elections. The ones in charge of the election are those at Party Central. Premier Su touted his achievements in office over the past few years, saying that no elections would tarnish his work. Peace and stability in the Taiwan Strait has been a hot topic of discussion in many recent interviews with world leaders. In an interview with CNN, UK Prime Minister Liz Truss said that the UK would work with its allies to ensure Taiwan can defend itself. In a separate interview, South Korea's President Yoon Suk-yeol said that both the Korean Peninsula and the Taiwan Strait were significant security issues for the US. We are determined to work with our allies to make sure that Taiwan is able to defend itself. Earlier this month, U.S. President Joe Biden openly stated for the fourth time that the U.S. would come to Taiwan's defense in a Chinese attack. On Sunday, U.K. Prime Minister Liz Truss also voiced a pro-Taiwan position. Well, when you say stand by, I mean, does that mean you would go as far as President Biden has gone in saying that the U.S. would defend Taiwan militarily? Would the U.K. defend Taiwan militarily if China invades? Well, what I've been clear about is that all of our allies need to make sure Taiwan is able to defend itself. And that is very, very important. And we need to learn the lessons from Ukraine. In an exclusive interview with CNN, Trust stressed that democratic countries had come together to enact sanctions against Russia and offer military aid for Ukraine. She warned that a win by Russia would send a message to authoritarian regimes, including China, that it is acceptable to invade sovereign nations. We support and work with our G7 allies, first of all, to reduce our strategic dependency on China and also to make sure that we are standing by our democratic allies around the world. Truss said that the UK would work with its allies to put together a joint response to Beijing. Meanwhile, in a different interview, South Korea's President Yoon Suk-yeol said that peace and stability in the Taiwan Strait was key for peace in the Korean Peninsula. In the case of military conflict around Taiwan, there would be increased possibility of North Korean provocation. Therefore, in that case, the top priority for Korea and the U.S.-Korean alliance on the Korean Peninsula would be based on our robust defense posture. We must deal with the North Korean threat first. The reporter asked Yun whether he thought the U.S. would prioritize the defense of Taiwan over South Korea's. It wouldn't be appropriate to reply about a U.S. priority, because both the Korean Peninsula and Taiwan are very important for the U.S., I suppose, and are to be defended by the U.S. together with their allies and partners. 
So therefore, I would say that both issues have significant importance. During a previous visit to Canada, Yun had told media that an emergency in Taiwan would impact regional peace. He added that South Korea would use all diplomatic means at its disposal to ensure stability in the Taiwan Strait. Further comments on the matter would come from U.S. Vice President Kamala Harris, who is on tour to Japan and South Korea. Senior officials say Taiwan will likely come up in many bilateral talks that she takes part in during the visit. Elections approached, thousands of candidates up and down the country are hoping to win votes. And to stand out from the crowd, campaigns must be memorable. Candidates are adopting unexpected or seeming tangential strategies to make their campaigns pop. Let's take a look at some of the most intriguing campaigns today. Two voters are engrossed in this game of whack-a-mole. But this is no arcade. It's an electoral services office where Zhanghua County Council candidate Wang Xiaoyu is playing on his professional background as an engineer in his tech-themed campaign. He's brought games machines into the office, as well as giving classes for kids on how to make and code Lego robots. Or if you head on to the campaign of Yunlin County Council candidate Zhou Xiuyue, you can scan a face and make electoral videos with special effects. She's already served three terms, and this time she switched from paper flyers to a tech-based campaign. Meanwhile, independent candidate Zhang Guangyi is also running for county councillor with this audacious billboard. Not all Zhangs are part of local factions, it reads. Recently, we have been subject to some suspicion, some doubts about whether we really are independent or not, or whether we're going to run for another party. So we're stressing the fact that, although my name is Zhang, not all Zhangs are part of local factions. And then there's Yunlin County Council candidate Chen Fangying, whose electoral photos show her in a school uniform to advertise the fact that she grew up in the area. Lots of people are saying I'm just coming back to surf because of the election or that I was parachuted in. That's not true. I really am a local girl. In their efforts to grab the attention of voters, local politicians are doing their best to make campaigns fun and memorable.